0: For rent this past week, maybe maybe you read it as well, and uh, the top of the Smith Tower over in Seattle. Yes? You know, that used to be the tallest building right in Seattle years and years ago. So now the condo, I think that's what you would call it, the condo up on top is available for lease, for rent. Man, it's got, I think, a 360 view of of the city, and I was kind of going through some photos of that. Do you know how much per month? This lease is, some of you know because you read the same article. Are you ready? $17,000 a month. So who wants, who's in line? I put myself on a list on Facebook. I'll take it. You know, I'm in line right. So anyway, would that be cool? Well, years ago, about I think maybe 30 years ago, however long we've been in our our current house, long time. So Jen and I bought an older home with the uh, idea of restoring it. And so we've been working on this 1924 home for, for a while. And, uh, you know, we've made great progress, but, but we, still, we still have some things we want to get done. So this whole restoring thing. And so some of you are there, some of you have been there, whether it's a home or it's a piece of furniture or maybe it's a table. Like you've involved yourself in this work of restoration, right? And you've discovered probably two things that we have discovered when it comes to restoring. Number one, restor- restoration work takes work, right? So if you've ever sanded on something or you ever have torn something apart to put it back together, you know that restoration is nothing but work. And it requires, number two, a level of commitment. Like you've got to be committed this, to this thing or it's just not going to get done. Here's what we know. Restoration is founded on, on hope, the hope that something will be better. So when you finish your restoration project, it will be better than when you started. Nobody begins a restoration project with a hope that it will be worse, right? Because that's weird. You know, that's just not going to work. So I'm going to restore this table so when I'm done, it will look worse than when I began. No, no, no one does that. We always do it with a hope that it's going, going to be better. hope that something will be better. Well, if you go onto our website, you'll see our, our theme. Our, our theme of Gateway, or what propels us, it says experience community, find hope. So we believe that hopefully what you experience here in person and online in a virtual way is a, is a community, authentic community that, that says this, and you've heard me say it many times, like we're not perfect, but I hope that we're authentic and I hope that we're healthy. That is, we lean upon each other, we lean together upon the Lord. Um, that's an authentic community that says... <laughs> We're just working this thing out together. But the last part is find hope. So experience community, find hope. Now, you're not going to find hope in some brilliant program that we, we may have dreamed up here at Gateway. The hope is not in the program. The hope is in Jesus. Yes? So the hope is in the Lord. That's, that's what we have to offer. That's the only thing we have to offer. But you've heard me say this the last number of weeks. There's always a first step and there's always a second step. And in this idea of restoration... Um, there's a first step. It takes a first step followed by a second step. Um, so I have this chair um, that I'm restoring, right? It was a rocking chair that my mom had before she passed away. So I, I, I got it and um, I disassembled it. <laughs> so this is what it looks like right now. Um, it's just like, can you make out the pieces there? There's like, it's in my garage. And I didn't want to give a wider view because then you would see my garage and it's kind of dirty. But anyway, so this is the rocking chair here. And uh, <clears throat> I've got it apart. Now, it takes a second step and a third step and probably many, many more steps to get the thing back to being the rocking chair and serving its purpose, right, to rock in. Now, i I'm having some difficulty, but I will get there somehow, some way, because it takes work, right? And it takes commitment. But unless I take the next step in restoration, it will always look like that pile right there. The first step was to dismantle it, and now I'm committed, but unless I take the next step, it will remain useless. Now, we're in a series out of the book of Ezra. And uh, I'm really excited about this book. In fact, part of my goal today is to get you so excited about Ezra that you can't wait to get home and start reading Ezra. Honestly, I, I, want, to, I, I want to be able to instill that in you. Ezra is one of those books that I, I just don't ever remember teaching on, to be honest with you, um, <clears throat> ever before. Ezra might be one of those books that you have passed through, right? In, or you've read it and go, like, what did that mean? in? You know, or even maybe have, for some of us, difficulty even finding, you know, the book of Ezra. Well, if you go to Psalms and go back a few books, you're you're going to find it there. But as we dive into the book of Ezra, here's what you're going to find. Ezra is a book of hope and restoration. Something really challenging has taken place in the life of the Israelites, but God has not forgotten. And this is a key point for us to remember as we dive in today right something challenging has happened it feels like the rocking chair is disassembled it feels like that when you look at this project of restoration like there is no hope that's the sense and that's the feeling but god has not forgotten and he restores hope as he works through people who turn to him and who are ready to take the next step are you with me on that this is really important right So God is the God of restoration, and he restores people who are committed to taking the next step in obedience to him. But first let me ask you kind of a a key question, because some of us are in this place where we kind of feel forgotten. So here's the question. Have you ever been in that place where you just feel like God's forgotten you? And it's okay to say yes, okay, because I've been there, like God, where are you? At least we think he's not paying much attention to you. So in your prayer time or in your alone time, you go like, God, it just doesn't feel like you're paying attention to me. It feels like I am lost, right? Like there is no hope. You felt that way. I have felt that way. The psalmist has felt that way. In Psalm chapter 10, verse 1, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? That's the way he felt. Sometimes we feel that way in this whole process of restoration. I think the Israelites probably felt that way or they were beginning to feel that way. We're going to see that. But God had not forgotten them and God had not forget, gotten his promise. So we're, with that in mind, that little bit of background, let's dive into the book of Ezra. And I want to ask, answer the question, what's, what's behind this book, this short 10-chapter book that I hope that uh, when you go home, like you start reading and you get into it because it's such an exciting book. And I want you to see that, I want you to experience it. But what's behind the book? Let me just give you this 70 years. Okay, everybody say 70. 70. Online, shout it out 70 years. That's behind the book. Why? The Israelites were in captivity um, because of their sin of idolatry. And rebellion for hundreds of years, even though they were warned by God through prophets to change their ways. They were in captivity 70 years. For some of you, that's all of your life. For some of us, that's coming. For others, that just seems like a lifetime, right? They were in captivity for 70 years. Do you think... It's possible that some of them began to think this, God, you have forgotten? Do you think that's possible? I do. I think it is, right? God, where are you? We're in captivity. But God used Babylon as a tool. Now, a tool, his agent to judge Israel for their disobedience. God used them to carry the remnant of Israel, into captivity. So that's where they are. That's what's behind the book of Israel. I intentionally use the word tool because a tool is something that we're familiar with, right? And we're familiar with, the, with this phrase, right? The right tool for the right, right? So there's a purpose behind a tool. Um, a hammer has a purpose, right, to do what? Hammer, screwdriver, has a purpose to screw and screws and something like that. How many have ever used a screwdriver to hammer? Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, my hand's up. So, yeah, uh, it just doesn't work so well, right? I mean, the right tool for the right purpose. So God is using Babylon as a tool to carry out his purpose. It was a tool of discipline. And we're going to see the results of that discipline in Ezra. And what happens when the Israelites take a step of obedience to God? That's what we're going to see. This is all background to the book of Ezra. Now, a tool serves a function, right? So some parents, you use time out as a tool, right? So you go sit in time out. Now, I learned this morning um, because you know, as a grandparent, like, first of all, as, as a parent, um, I, don't, I just don't remember time out was in our tool bag. Maybe it was for my wife. I don't remember. But as a grandparent, like never. Because you don't do those things to your grandkids, right? Your grandkids can have the, like, put a grandkid in timeout? No, that's nuts, man. That's not even godly. So anyway, um, okay. So, uh, but God, God so uh, and I heard that time, timeout, I didn't know this. So I heard that timeout works this way. Um, parents go, yes, or no. one minute for every year old. Is that true? Your <laughs> parents are going to "No, like, 30 minutes every year. You're in timeout for the rest of your life. OK. Well, anyway, so God used Babylon as a tool to discipline the Israelites for a timeout. Are you ready? Of 70 years? That's behind the book of Ezra. That's where they are. To understand Ezra outside of God's hand at work. And the judgment or the discipline of a loving God and his promises is to miss two key foundational truths. Okay? To try to understand Ezra, this 10-chapter book, outside of these two foundational truths is really to miss um, the key, I think. Number one is this. God disciplines those he loves. He is a God of discipline. So we talk about a tool, being in captivity for 70 years. God did that because he loved his people. Right? So as a parent, when you put your kids in time out, or you discipline your kids, you're doing that because you love them. And some of us get all messed up at this point, right? That we think, like, why would God judge? Because a God who loves doesn't judge. No. It's actually the opposite about, we're going to see that in a minute. A God who loves us disciplines us. He's a God of discipline. Number two, God always fulfills his promise, so he's a God of promise. Let's look at God's discipline first uh, before we dive into Ezra. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises or punishes every son whom he receives. Parents discipline children for disobedience out of love. Right? You do. I've discovered in my own life that God knows exactly What tool to pull out of the tool bag to discipline me, to bring me back to where he wants me to be? You have probably discovered that as well. But remember, every journey begins with a what step? First step, been talking about that. And every journey continues with a second step. Some of us are under his hand of discipline right now. And we need to understand that and we need to take a step toward God, not away from him. Every step begins with a first step. He's a God of discipline. He will discipline you and discipline me to keep us in in his righteous ways. Second foundation of truth, he's a God of promise. We're going to see that now begin to unfold in, in the book of Ezra. In Jeremiah chapter 29. Listen to this. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed. Now, this is the tool that God used. The captivity. For set, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a, everybody say it, hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore, is that theme of restoration, your fortunes, and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you. This is God who placed them in captivity. I will gather you declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So, you understand what's happening here. This restoration would happen on God's timeline as he had promised. Time out for 70 years, but there's a promise. He's a God of discipline, he's a God of promise. God would fulfill his gracious promise to restore these exiles to their land. The 70-year time of judgment for their sins and rebellion would be completed and was part of God's plan to give Judah a hope and a future. The larger purpose of this time of exile or judgment or this time of, of, of discipline was to force Israel back to her God. What we see as punishment, God sees as his plan for good. And that... That is something we have to allow to set deep in our heart, right? So we sometimes see God's discipline as like, God, you're judging and you're punishing. No, this is God's plan for you. This is God's plan for me. The book of Ezra records two separate time periods directly following the 70 years of Babylon captivity. We're going to see that. We're going to dive more into that in coming weeks. So there are two separate time periods in these 10 chapters. The first one... And when Zerubbabel comes back, spans for about 20-plus years. And then when Ezra comes back, it's about 60-some years later. So in 10 chapters, two separate um, time periods. There are five key players in the book of Ezra. So I'm just going to like, man, I wish I I could just beg you. Um, So I wish I could like require but I can't do that. I know that. Like read the book of Ezra. Turn it, put, put it on audio. So this past week... Um, I've listened to Ezra three different times Jen and I listened to it last night As we were preparing dinner together um, uh, It's ten chapters If you put it on audio It's 45 minutes And you will be absolutely awestruck At what's going on It's such an exciting book But there are five key players In the book of Ezra The first three are kings <clears throat> Number one Cyrus, king of Persia Chapters one and two So he's, he's a key player going to talk more about him in just a second Darius, king of Persia, chapters 3 to 6. Artaxerxes, you're going to see him in two places in chapter 4. And then he has a cha- change of heart and you see him in chapter 7 again. Zerubbabel, right, chapters 1 through 6, that first time period. And then Ezra, chapter 7 through 10, that picks up nearly 60 years later when he leads this second group of exiles to Israel and restore spiritual uh, and uh, religious and reforms are made. So what I want to talk to you about today is the first three key players here. And, and just talk about three kings, one God. Now if, if, I could just, if I could just get one little phrase to kind of set deep in your heart today, it would be that. And, and then you understand what's going on. Three kings, how many gods? One God. Three kings, one God. Three human leaders, one God. You're going to see how God works through people to carry out his purposes, to fulfill his promises. One God. Let's look first at Cyrus, chapter 1, Ezra chapter 1. So when you get into it, you're going to read about him. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, now I just read that, right? Jeremiah. That the word of the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. So that he made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heavens, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Now, don't miss that key part. Let's back up just one slide, right, that's highlighted here. That God is the one who did what? I guess it's the next one, I'm sorry, where we see it. Back up. There it is right there. Stirred up the spirit of Cyrus. Who stirred up the spirit of Cyrus? God did. The Lord did. This is important for us to understand. 150 years before Cyrus lived, the prophet Isaiah wrote this. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus. Are you ready? Whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. Just a chapter earlier, Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28, who says, God says, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall fulfill my purpose. Are you seeing what's happening here? Long before Cyrus was even alive, God says, look, I have grasped his hand. He is going to fulfill my purpose. You see, when the Lord stirred up the heart of Cyrus, Cyrus may have thought, I got this really good idea. Right? He may have woke up one morning and go, I got this great idea. I'm going to be super nice. I'm going to do all of this. This was not Cyrus at all. This was God working in a human leader to fulfill his promise That he prophesied, that he said, happened a hundred some years. I will grasp his hand and Cyrus, you are going to fulfill my promise. Do you see what's taking place? This is huge. It's not just some great idea that Cyrus had. He was directed by the Lord. Let me ask you something. Do you find yourself losing hope? Where where things are today, do you are you in that place? I'm, I'm just telling you, you don't have to lose hope. Three kings, one God. And do you do you know you, you do you understand? I know you do. That there's one God, who was at work on the heart of King Cyrus, is the exact same God that we serve today you do know that right? he's the same god Darius second king of persia look what happens here look how god uses his king the construction of the temple resumed in his second year and just like now anytime god's at move on the move guess what happens the enemy is there right so You know this personally, and you can see it happening in the world today. So, on a macro level, you can see that whenever God's at move, God's at work, when he's moving, the enemy is there to detract, right? You can see that on a macro level. On a micro level, that is your life and in my life, when God begins moving in your life, what do you experience so often? The enemy, right? Right, the adversary coming. And the Bible says he is there to distract you. And to take us away, well, that is what was happening here. Um, suddenly, there was resistance. And in chapter five, Tatnai—this is one of my favorite parts of of Ezra, by the way—you're going to see it in chapter five. Uh, Tatnai—he's the Persian, he's the he's the Persian governor of Judea. He writes a letter to Darius in an effort to turn the king against the Israelites and to stop the building. So this is what's happening. So adversaries are coming, right? So we want to stop the building. He gives quite a description of what's, what's going on. In Ezra chapter 5, verse 8, he says, the work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. And so in my paraphrase, it's like, so King Darius, we need to check this thing out, man. We need to stop this thing from what's going on, like it's prospering in their hands. And so Tatnai writes this, um, To to King Darius, he says, therefore, if it seems good to the king, let search be made in the royal archives there in Babylon. See, going like, okay, so king, you need to go and check this thing out to see whether it's really true. See if a decree was issued by Cyrus the king for the rebuilding of this house of God in Jerusalem. And let the king send us his pleasure in this matter. You see what's going on? So, Ted and I are going like, "Hey, King, uh, this building's going on. It's going really, really good. Like, you need to check and just be sure that uh, Cyrus actually gave that decree, and then let us know, you know, so we can like serve the king in this matter, you know." Um, but remember that prophecy I I just read shared with you: the action of God, Cyrus, whose hand I have grasped. I'm, I'm certain that these dissenters, these adversaries, were thinking that something different um, was, was going to happen. So Darius orders a search of all the records, and he finds a decree, and then he answers the governor. And this is really, really good. I just got to share it with you, okay? So this is the letter that they got back from Darius. And if you're Tatnai and his people, it's not going to be a really good day for you. Okay, here it is. This is really good. I love this. This is my favorite part, I think, of Ezra. One of my favorite parts. Okay, now therefore Tatnai, governor of the province, of, province beyond the river, Shitar Bozani, and your associates, the governors who are in the province beyond the river, are you ready? Keep away. Do you love that? Here's a, no, keep, uh, keep away from them. Let the work on this house of God alone. It gets better. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you should do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of this house of God. Are you ready? The cost is to be paid to these men in full. And without delay. See, this is, this is what it says to me like, my house uh, restoration project, somebody else is going to pay for that. Would that be cool? The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue. The tribute of the province from beyond the river and whatever is needed bulls, rams, or sheep for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, or oil, as the priests at Jerusalem require, let that be given to them day by day without fail, that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. You see what's taking place? Three kings. How many gods? One God. God fulfilling his promise and going, hey, by the way, this is actually what's going to happen. But it gets even better. I got this verse on the screen for you. Also, I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house, and he shall be impaled on it, and his house shall be made a dunghill. Do you love that? Do you see what's going on? (laughs) May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this or to destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem, I, Darius, make a decree. Let it be done with all diligence. And if I'm Tatanai and I'm his people, I'm going like, that didn't work out too well. Remember three kings, one God? What are you worried about? He's in control. He's a God of promise. But I said there are three kings, right? Three kings, one God. Artaxerxes the next one. He had a change of heart, by the way. We're introduced to Artaxerxes in, in chapter 4 when the Israelites are again facing opposition. And what you're going to read is he actually stops the work. He stops the work. But when you get to chapter 7, there's a change of heart that takes place. And what seems to be the best explanation is that God, like, moved on his heart and God changed his heart and allowed the construction then to continue. After a decree where supplies of silver and gold were given and a blessing on the work of the Lord, Ezra writes this in Ezra chapter 7, blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors. And before all the king's mighty officers, I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me. And I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. Three kings, one God. Three kings, one God. He's a God of promise. We're going to walk through Ezra in the next number of weeks. And I just invite you every week to kind of join in on this journey. We're going to see what happens when people repent. We're going to see what happens um, when other adversaries try to try to stop the work. We're going to explore it deeply and I just invite you to join in. I invite you to read Ezra, but three kings, one God, here's what we know God works through people, even kings. Just get that. God works through people, even kings. They may think they're in charge, but they're not. Don't lose hope. Number two, God always honors his word. And he says, When you come to you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. So what's the step that you need to take today? Has God been using a certain tool in your life to discipline you? Maybe. If he has, don't step away, step towards him. And number three, God forgives and God restores. See, here's what I want you to see in the book of Ezra. It's your story and it's my story. We were born into brokenness, every one of us. Every one of us. We were born out of relationship with God the Father. Our lives have been marked by sin and rebellion But God, the God of hope and the God of restoration, has provided a way for you and me. God is a God of forgiveness, and he will not turn his back on those who seek him in repentance and brokenness. It's a beautiful story. We're going to pause, and we're going to receive communion together as we celebrate the God of hope. The God of restoration. Do you know that you have been restored to him? And I have been restored to him. Do you know for anyone who calls on his name, there is forgiveness. There is restoration. The brokenness that we were born into is mended. It's healed. We can be in relationship with him. Because of the sacrifice of his son. Have you stepped towards him? And I'm, I'm going to pray. And I'm just going to invite you, for those of you who have not maybe um, taken a step toward him in relationship with him, I'm going to pray for you. Now I'm going to invite you um, to trust in him, to believe in him. He's the God what you may feel. Maybe captivity is a word that you would even use describing your own life. You feel stuck. God says if we would just take a step towards him, he is there waiting. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for the rest of us in person and online who may feel that we're under the hand of discipline and we've been running away instead of running away, we need to run towards him. He said, God, a promise. So, Father, I pray this morning for those who... Perhaps have never trusted in you. If that's you, you can just pray along with me. Believe it. I've always said it. There's no magical words. It's just saying, Jesus, I want to trust my life. I'm going to give you my life. I believe in you. I've been running. And I want to take this step towards you. So God asks you to forgive me. I want to serve you all of my life. For those of us who are maybe stepping in the wrong direction. And God's been using some tool to discipline us and it, it, it's just been pushing us away and we need to turn around and then repentance come back to him and that's you let's just do that right now shall we thank god i my life in this particular area whatever that area is i've stepped away from you but today i'm stepping toward you knowing that you're the god of hope and restoration and i thank you for it in jesus name we're going to join together in communion. So, if you're online, um, grab your communion elements, whatever they are. They're just symbols, um, but they symbol, they symbolize something great. <laughs> we, something we couldn't do. His body was broken, that we might be made whole in every way. He restores us, right? Um, and we come in, to him in in our brokenness and our need for him, and. His body was broken that we might be made whole in every way, spiritually, physically, emotionally, whatever it is that we need. So as we take the bread, let's offer our brokenness to him, saying, Jesus, this is what I'm asking for today, healing, physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing. God, we bring our brokenness to you and we receive from you today in Jesus' name. Let's take the bread together, shall we? And in these quiet moments, Father, we thank you for the restoration, the forgiveness of sins. You did something that we could not do. We could never put the chair back together. We could never put our life back together. It was something that was beyond our means. But you stepped in. And you offered your son, Jesus. He made a way for us to be in a right relationship, to restore our relationship to you. So we celebrate that as we gather around the table. Let's take the cup together, shall we? Amen. You know, as believers, we can go out every day rejoicing in Him. Amen. Every day. We don't need to walk around with heads down, right? We walk around with heads lifted up, right? We live and we exist in victory. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's stand together, shall we? And let's join together online. And let's just finish by by declaring.